Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Good afternoon and happy Sabbath, dear ones. Thank you, Gordon, for reminding us, particularly on Thanksgiving Eve, to make sure that we don't overeat. Yeah, guilty as charged already, so I guess I better be mindful of this story. So we do want to take an opportunity, we, I'm talking about my family, to say thank you, church family. Um, Some of you are aware, some of you may not be. Uh, My wife has had surgery two times within the last six months, and it's been a very challenging time for us. And our church family, you all, have really rallied around us, and we want to say thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you to those of you who, is, who have helped publicly by signing up and, and bringing meals to our home and, and sent flowers or cards, and those of you who supported us privately through prayers and through random acts of kindness. just wanted to take a moment on behalf of our family to say thank you. We really, really um, appreciate, deeply appreciate each and every one of you. Um, also, I'm going to be a little fresh and um, speak on behalf of the pastoral team. They did not ask me to do this, uh, but we were appreciated as a staff and a team not too long ago. And as you can see, we're extremely excited for the opportunity to serve in this community. It's humbling for us and what a wonderful community we are. What a wonderful community you are. And we're so privileged to be here as reflected also in the way that we've been engaging with the Samaritan Center. Uh, So congratulations also to Tony and Aaron taking over. We're so glad uh, to continue supporting your ministry. Today's sermon is titled, Let's Go. Um, Oftentimes when you see this as a sports fan, it's where it gets highlighted the most. Let's go. We're united uh, on the mission of winning the match or the game or what have you. And that's the whole concept. Let's go. And it's also a word of affirmation. We use it a lot uh, with the youth to show just, hey, great job. Well done. And this whole concept of let's go was actually somewhere we can follow in the Bible, believe it or not, as you saw in Scripture. So our Scripture today was from John chapter 14, verse 6 particularly. But prior to that, Jesus was just telling his disciples that he was going to go and he was going to prepare a place for them. So where he is, they would be also. What a wonderful message right, to receive, especially for us who are desiring to be in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it gets to that point right before verse 6 where Thomas is like, man, we don't know where you're going. What are you talking about? How do we know the way? And this is when Jesus answered, and we go over to John chapter 14. This is in the New International Version, in case it doesn't match what you have in front of you. But in John 14, 6, this is a very popular text The majority of the kids who were here for the children's story probably know it by heart. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. He's saying to know that he was going to go to the Father, which is where we all desire to be. Now, we're going to focus particularly on the fact that Jesus is the truth. And we're gonna talk about how our truth intersects with our faith. And my prayer is that by the end of this message, you will be convinced of this. Let go, now let's go. Let go, now let's go. 
Let us bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence here in this place. And Father, I've asked you this every time that I stand as an instrument, that you may speak to me, for me, and through me, that you may be lifted up and you may draw everyone to you because what's happening here right now at this moment has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with you. So speak to our hearts, ready to receive what you have to say. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen. So this whole idea of talking about let's go, if you heard me speak before, you know I like to clarify terms. I wanna make sure that you and I are on the same page, that when I mention a word or an idea that we're tracking together, right? So one of the words that we're gonna define is truth. Now the Oxford Dictionary defines truth as the quality or state of being true. The second definition is that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. The third definition that they offer us is a fact or belief that is accepted as true. You're gonna hear this concept later on. A fact or belief that is accepted as true. I kind of paraphrase this uh, word truth and define it like this. So truth is something that is in fact real or a belief that is accepted as reality or true. Okay, so there is that element of acceptance when it comes to truth. The other word that we're gonna talk about, you're gonna hear a little bit, is control. And Oxford Dictionary defines that as the power to influence or direct people's behavior or the course of events. Another word that you're gonna see, oh, there's control right there, sorry, didn't pop up earlier. The next word we're gonna talk about, or you're gonna see, is faith. Now, we're gonna deviate from just the Oxford Dictionary's definition, we're gonna use the biblical one as well. Oxford says it's a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Bear that in mind. Because if you're anything like me, you want to make sure that you see almost all things. We don't like being surprised or being caught off guard. But faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of, we do, of what we do not see. The next word is confidence. You're gonna hear that one and that's the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. It's firm trust. And the final word that I'm going to clarify here is certainty. Oxford Dictionary defines that as the firm conviction that something is the case. And secondly, the quality of being reliably true. Now, you are gonna get the opportunity to be involved throughout the entire message. You all know I like to have a conversation with you. So here's your opportunity to warm up. So I'm gonna talk about some certainties that you and I have about God based on what the Bible says. So when you hear this certainty, I want you to say amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, however you wanna agree with that. And or, just raise your hand if you'd rather not say anything. Now if you are feeling excited as I am, you can go ahead and say amen, hallelujah, and raise your hands. That'd be cool. So however you feel you wanna express this, here we go. This is certain, this is truth. God is creator. 
Amen. Excellent. Genesis 1-1. God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and faithful. Amen. There you go. Exodus 34, 5-7. God is truth. We just heard it in John 14, right? But it's also in Numbers 23, 19. God is sovereign. Amen. That's right. Deuteronomy 3, 24. God is consuming fire. Amen. Deuteronomy 4, 24. God is merciful. Amen. All right. That one's getting a little bit more traction. Deuteronomy 4, 31. God is Lord. Amen. Okay. Some believe that. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. God is mighty awesome and fair. Amen. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Deuteronomy 10, 17. God is with us. Amen. We're getting closer to Christmas. Emmanuel, God is with us. You know, that all, all that good stuff. That's right. God is with us. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. God is our warrior. Amen. Some of you have experienced that. Joshua 23, 3. God is compassionate. Amen. Yes, he is. Second Chronicles 30, verse 9. God is righteous and judge. Yes, he is righteous and he is the judge. God, uh, that's Psalm 50, verse 6. God is our sustainer. Yes, he is. Psalm 54, verse 4. God is flawless. Amen. God is flawless. Proverbs 30, verse 5. God is savior. Oh, my word. I thought you'd be more excited about savior. If there are sinners in this house right now, we need to be like almost standing up. God is Savior. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I am in need of a Savior. I don't know about you. Isaiah 12, verse 2. God is life. Yep, John 14, we saw that, but it's also in Ezekiel 33, verse 11. God is spirit. John 4, 24. God is alive and redeemer. Amen. Oh, yeah. Now we, we're getting there. First Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. God is good. I heard somebody say all the time. I thought that was going to happen, but I like that. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. That is actually in James 1, 17. How about God is light? Amen. Yes, he is. First John 1, 5. God is love. Amen. Yes, he is. First John 4, 8. Now we're going to get into some uh, theology here. God is omniscient, all-knowing. Psalm 147, verse 5. God is omnipotent. Yes, he is. Amen. Isaiah 55, 11. God is omnipresent. Amen. Yes, he is. Psalm 139. Now I always like to pause here and clarify. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are omnipresent. Jesus is no longer omnipresent. Jesus had to give his omnipresence up when he took upon humanity. If he wouldn't have taken upon or surrendered his omnipresence, then he wouldn't have been fully human. You know, I got an ongoing joke that I utilize, especially in this community, it's very uh, appropriate, where I say, I may have mastered divinity, but I haven't mastered omnipresence. You know, with all the activities we have, you just can't be everywhere at once. And the reality is that God the Father can, God the Holy Spirit can, Jesus does not. However, Jesus left and sent an advocate because he knew we needed his company all the time. Praise the Lord. So he's omnipresent. Now this one I've heard before and I embraced it. It's not very popular, but I believe it to be true based on what the word of God says. But God is an omni-empath. Now omni-empath means that God can feel all things. 
God is a God that can relate to us in our suffering, in our joys. No matter what it is we're facing, God can relate with us, and that is supported in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, where we're told that we have a high priest that can relate with us. So God is an omni-empath. Now, why is this important? Well, the reason why this is important is because God, being all these aforementioned traits, if you will, is a good thing because if God is, then you and I don't have to be. Now, don't get me wrong, we do get invited to be light, we, we get invited to be loving, we get invited uh, to, to be um, merciful, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, all these things. We are invited to accomplish all these things, but you and I must realize that at times we fall short. We just can't be all these things. And guess what, dear ones? That's a good thing because we're human. We are not God, and God doesn't need our help to be God. God can be God all by himself or by themselves. And that concept is comforting. It is sobering to let us know that when we need God, God can do all things, and we do need God's help every single day. So then we get to this concept and this idea that we need to let go now Let's go. Let go. Now, let's go. There's a lot of elements inside of that short statement, and I want to address two of them. One of them that I uh, talked to my daughters about, they're not going to appreciate this. I didn't ask them to, uh, their permission to share this. But the reality is, I always distinguish the difference between knowledge and wisdom this way knowledge is information. It's a lot of information. As a matter of fact, on the campus of, of Southern and, and having CA right there, you know, the reality is we are very full of information. But wisdom, I believe, is the implementation of that information. Wisdom is taking what I know and putting it into practice. And the reason why I bring this up is because I, I'm challenged sometimes when I tell my daughters, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, you need to do this for a while. And they're like, I know. And I'm like, then if you know, do it. But that never happens to you guys. You know, you always know what you know and you do what you know. So, so the idea is that knowledge becomes wisdom when it's practiced. Now, the fact that we believe and we understand these certainties about who God is should move us now when we take that knowledge, okay, and we put it into practice, it should automatically move us to do something. And what I believe a wise person does with this information is they surrender. We, knowing who God is and knowing who we are, we surrender. What surrender means is operating within my boundaries. Understanding that as a human, I am limited to my abilities and capabilities. However, God can transcend and supersede all of those things, and therefore, it is so important for you and I to let go. So now, let's go. See, see, this is one thing that, that the Holy Spirit brought in this whole process that I didn't catch at first. But if you look at the beginning, part of this phrase, let go, it has a singular aspect to it. 
It means that there is something or someone that is holding on to something. And if I understand that I'm supposed to be journeying with God, if I understand my need for God, then I understand that this is something that I need to do. I have to let go. And when I let go, look at what happens now. Let's go. Did you catch what's happening there? This is plural. This is God saying, I want you to let go of some things so now we can go together. Maybe there are some things that I'm holding on to that God is trying to get me to let go so he can operate in my favor. And I think it's so neat for us to think, okay, I have to let go so God can do what God wants to do. And if you're wondering what God wants to do, I'll let you know he wants to save you. And he wants to save me. But this whole concept of letting go reminds me of a story. It's a story that, well, was, was very interesting. Um, my uncle and I, we, we would canoe down rivers and stay overnight and then keep on going down. It was a great experience. We would canoe different rivers down in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And um, he's, he passed away around this time about a year ago. Love that man. Um, hope to see him in heaven. And, and the, the, the process was... Before he started taking me down rivers, he took me through the bay. And in the bay, that little bay area, he was like, hey, whenever we face any waves created by other boats or any object in the water, he said, look, Kirstie, what we're going to do is we're going to turn the canoe and we're going to meet it head on. The way to handle those things in a canoe is don't try to do anything except meet it head on. So I knew this. And then the experience that we were about to have going down that particular river that day, I don't think my uncle was ready for. So this was a unique situation. We're coming down the river and then we see this huge log that is in the way. But along with the log, there was a tree with branches that was right over where that log was. So my uncle very wisely reminds me, hey, Curse, remember we're gonna hit this log head on and we're gonna maneuver our way around it. And I was like, I know. No worries. So here we go, we're getting ready for impact. And boom, we hit the log and guess what happened? I popped right up and I held onto the tree. And my uncle starts yelling, let go, let go. But I didn't. In my mind, I thought I was helping him. I was going to find a way to help him sort this all out because I was in the front of the canoe, he's in the back of the canoe, our stuff was in the middle of the canoe, and I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be all right. I'm going to help him out. We're going to make this happen. But the truth is, I was afraid. I was scared to death because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I held on to that tree for dear life. Speaking of trees, I'm reminded of a biblical story that we can relate with that had a similar situation. And that story is found in Genesis chapter 3. So I want you to join me. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 3, and I'm reading in the New International Version in case it doesn't match what you have. And in Genesis chapter 3, we, we find ourselves in a very interesting dynamic. God had given Adam and Eve 
specific instructions. And this particular moment is when things deviated from what God's plan was. So Genesis chapter three, I'm gonna zero in specifically on on verse six. And this is what it says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Did you, did you catch the transition where I think Eve had good intentions but her good intentions didn't necessarily pan out exactly how she thought they would. We're told that she saw that the fruit was also desirable for gaining wisdom. This is a clincher right there for highlighting the importance of letting go. See, I use this all the time with the youth and and early teen, and I let them know this regularly, fairly regularly. I tell them this only works in English, but bear with me, and here's the thing. Sin is a battle against ourselves. If you go right back to where sin originated in Lucifer, Lucifer wanted to be like God. He was looking out for himself. It's what he wanted, he wanted more. If you look at what happened with Eve, Eve wanted more. She desired more wisdom than she had already received from God. So what I tell them is, and this only works in English, is how convenient it is that the word sin has the letter I in the middle of it. And it's that whole concept that when I am focusing on just me and what I want and what I think is right and how I think things should be, when I try to be in control of all things, maybe, just maybe, I might be sinning. Because I am at the center of sin. See, when this happened, you and I both know what happened. Our nature went from being perfect and godlike to being evil. Our natural tendency is not to do what is right. Our natural tendency is to do what is wrong. So therefore, God is operating in you and in me to transform us to pre-fall, a nature that is pre-fall. In other words, a perfect nature. A nature that is always continually for good. So therefore, dear ones, it means that God is operating in our hearts to transform our minds to be more like Christ, which means that I have to be careful with me. If you don't believe me, let's go see what Auntie Ellen has to say. So Auntie Ellen is a way I fondly refer to Ellen White because she's like that aunt that we listen to when we don't want to listen to our parents, but our aunt is telling the same thing our parents are telling us, but we listen to her, but we listen to our parents. I don't know. That never happens to you all, but that was me growing up. And the thought process is I refer to her as Auntie Ellen. She tells us, these are her words, not mine, if we studied the Bible like we should, we wouldn't even need her writings. Her words, not mine, but this is what Auntie Ellen said in early writings, chapter 35. The chapter is talking about the fall of man. It says, this is Eve's perspective. 
Satan commenced his work with Eve to cause her to disobey. She first erred in wandering from her husband, next in lingering around the forbidden tree, and next in listening to the voice of the tempter, and even daring to doubt what God had said. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. She thought that perhaps the Lord did not mean just what he said. And venturing, she put forth her hand, took on, uh, took of the fruit, and ate. It was pleasing to the eye and pleasant to taste. Then she was jealous that God had withheld from them what was really for their good. And she offered the fruit to her husband, thereby tempting him. Let me pause here for a second. She was mad at God. The audacity for her to think that God was holding out on her. How did that work out? She related to Adam all that the serpent had said and expressed her astonishment that he had the power of speech. He was the serpent. So she was over here frustrated with God because God was holding out on her. However, she was looking out for herself because she wanted to gain wisdom and the fruit was pleasing to her. Let's see Adam's perspective. I saw sadness come over Adam's, this is Ellen White saying in her vision, I saw a sadness come over Adam's countenance. He appeared afraid and astonished. A struggle seemed to be going on in his mind. He felt for sure that this was the foe against whom they had been warned and that his wife must die. They must be separated. His love for Eve was strong and in utter discouragement, he resolved to share her fate. Who was Adam looking out for? Thank you kindly. He was looking out for himself. He loved Eve so much he couldn't imagine his life without her. He didn't think that maybe this all-powerful God, this creator God could have solved this situation for him. So what did he do? He said, well, my fate, I understand what it is. It has to be her fate. Adam was looking out for himself because he loved Eve. He seized the fruit and quickly ate it. Then Satan exulted. He had rebelled in heaven and had gained sympathizers who loved him and followed him in his rebellion. He had fallen and caused others to fall with him. And he had now tempted the woman to distrust God, to inquire into his God's wisdom, and to seek to penetrate his God's all wise plans. Whose plans are all wise? God's. Satan knew that the woman would not fall alone. <laughs> Did you catch that? Satan knew that the woman would not fall alone. Adam, through his love for Eve, disobeyed the command of God and fell with her. Dear ones, this is so important for us to track with so we understand that even though you and I may find ourselves in a situation where we don't fully understand why God said what he did, we don't fully understand what God is doing or how God is operating, you and I still have to exercise faith and trust in God because God is the way, the truth, and the life to eternal life.
So dear ones, you and I need to understand what our parameters are and what our boundaries are. We do not sit on the throne of control, God does. So no matter what it is you're facing, no matter the challenge, no matter the difficulty, no matter the hardship, God is with you. And maybe what we need to do is let go of that control so now God can take the reins and say, let's go. Let's go to where you and I want to be with the Father in heaven in that place he's preparing for each and every one of us. It's good news, dear ones. So therefore, I suggest this idea. The biblical truths that we accept are linked to the faith we profess and supersede the truths of this world. Follow with me. So the work of faith is to surrender complete control over our lives to God daily. This is where truth and faith intersect. Because see, faith is not knowing what's what. We say we're gonna hope for things and we're gonna have the assurance of the things that we don't see. So God has to be in control because we don't see everything, we don't know all things, that's God's thing, not our thing. But yet, if I believe these things is true, if God is truly sovereign, if God is truly all-powerful, if God is truly omniscient, and he's all of these things for us, then we can fully trust that God will do what he said he will do. Oh man, you guys are not as excited as I am. Well, let me break something to you. Newsflash, dear ones. I'm trying to say this in the kindest way possible. You were never in control anyways. You and I do not have control over any external circumstances. As a matter of fact, you and, you and I can't even control what's gonna happen the next second. But God knows, and God is looking out for you. So the only thing you and I can control, listen carefully, is how we react every time we face a different circumstance. So God is inviting us to let go of the things we cannot control and embrace the things we can, which is ourselves. Surrendering to God daily because the work of salvation, of faith. Listen, listen, I don't know if you had this struggle. When I was growing up, I had the struggle. What was the work of faith? Because James, in chapter, uh, James chapter two tells us Faith without works is dead. So what is that work? I believe that work, dear ones, is surrendering complete control to God daily. It's letting go of me and grabbing a hold on to God. So I believe that for God to accomplish his work of saving people, which he's not gonna force anyone, it is our choice, we have to let go. Now what do we have to let go of? Well, I would assume that we have to let go of this world as much as we can. So maybe we need to let go our worldly plans, our worldly desires, our worldly expectations, our worldly accomplishments, maybe our worldly education, maybe our worldly traditions, maybe our worldly accepted truths, maybe our worldly addictions, maybe our worldly affiliations, just to name a few. But the reality is, dear ones, you and I are not of this world anyways. 
God is preparing a place for us that is way better than anything this world can ever offer us. So the concept, dear ones, is that according to James 4, uh, friendship with the world, dear ones, is enmity with God. So the more we hold on to the world, the harder it is for God to be able to accomplish his work of salvation in us. So therefore, I believe that we need to let go, so now let's go. Let go of the world so you can grab a hold on to what God is trying to offer us. But how? How? Right? So easy to talk about the challenges, but how do we address it? I'm going to breeze through this and in honor of time. But here we go. This is how. First of all, pray, dear ones. There's power in prayer. It's how we communicate with God. It's how we humble ourselves before the Lord, understanding that we need him. Pray. Ask God what he wants to do with us and trust him. Journal. Look, I wasn't a journaler before. I just didn't like it. I didn't want a journal, but that's a great way to put good and bad thoughts on paper. Do that brain dump, if you will. And it'll help us be able to do the next thing, which is listen. Listen to what God is trying to tell us to do. Listen to where he's leading us. Be open and intentional about seeking his revelation. Dear ones, did you know that the Holy Spirit is still alive and well? The Holy Spirit is not dead. Therefore, could it be possible that there are still truths to be revealed? Yes, that possibly means that we do not have absolute truth. And guess what? That's okay. Because God is in control. But when you start hearing other truths and the Holy Spirit starts revealing those truths to you, it's how you react that makes the difference. Are we going to force everybody else to believe my truth and follow what I think they should? That's not what God does. But there's still more truth to be had. So listen. Here's another one. Identify your emotions. Know what it is that triggers us. What is it that, that made us or caused us to behave in the way that we did? That is important. Also, let go of what we cannot control. Just let go of it. We can't do anything about it anyways, but God can. So let go of what we cannot control. This one was a hard one for me. Accept my identity in the fact that I am a child of God. My profession, my wealth, my knowledge, none of that identifies me. What identifies me is that I am a son of God. And you are a son and daughter of Jesus Christ as well. And then this one, if that one was challenging, this one was even more challenging. Accept that others are children of God also. Dear ones, God didn't come to die just for some of us. He ransomed and loves all of humanity. So we need to treat others like they are also children of God. And the last one is get support from loved ones and or professionals. You're not alone. God put people in place that can help us through these times. I know that's a little bit small. You probably can't see it all, but you can catch it later on on the uh, live stream later. All right. So. Dear uh, uh, young people, I'm wrapping it up. Here it is. Why? Why is this important? So young people, it's from ages 1 to 92, according to my buddy Nat King Cole. So I'm telling you why this is important. I'll tell you. 
Number one, God wants us to live in the fullness and abundance of life. That's what God wants for us, even here on this earth. So with that thought in mind, to live uh, an abundant life, you have to exercise faith. You have to, because if not, we're gonna be anxious all the time because we can't control much of anything except ourselves. So faith is exercised, okay, primarily when things are certain to us. I know that's convoluted. Let me explain it real quick. Oh, there's that abundant life one. All right, here it is. I am more readily going to sit on this chair because I examined it and I know that it's gonna work. I would hope so. This is certain truth to me. So my faith in that it's gonna do that, will, I will easily say, I'm gonna sit here. However, if this chair was missing one of the legs and I analyze that, I'm not as certain that that chair is gonna do or execute its function, am I? Do you think I'm gonna be so readily in sitting on it? I don't think so. Because I'm gonna fall. Now, if somebody dared me to do it, I don't know. But the idea is this. If I'm certain about something, I will more easily exercise faith on that. Well, we already established at the beginning of the sermon all the things that God is. And you agreed primarily with a lot of those things. So why not let go? Trust in the fact that God's word is true. God wants us to live an abundant life. Second, we were never in control anyways of our external circumstances. So let go. Because when we let go, we are inviting God to journey with us. We are no longer gonna journey alone. So let go now. Let's go. What a beautiful invitation. But the question is, will we accept the invitation? You're probably wondering, what on earth happened with me holding on to that tree? Well, exactly what you think would happen. It didn't matter how hard my uncle tried to keep us from capsizing, we did. The water rushing underneath the canoe turned the canoe over, eventually, all of us were all wet and all of our stuff was wet too. Thankfully, it was shallow, so we were able to gather all, most of our things and it still shortened our trip. Our adventure was cut short. So that was sad. If only I would have listened to my uncle and let go. I don't know what the Lord is telling you today that you need to let go of. And frankly, I don't even know what is making you so afraid to let go. But whatever it is, dear ones, God can handle it. It's not too big for him. And he's with us. And in God is with us, who can be against us? Because he's not just with us, he's for us. So, before I, I pray, I, I want to confess, I'm preaching to myself. Like I said earlier, my wife has had surgery twice in a six-month time frame, 
and it was pretty, pretty serious. And one of the things God was telling me through all this process is I need to let go of my pride. See, as a man, I am a provider. I, I try to take care of my family. I'm the protector as well. And I had no control over what the doctors were going to do when they performed the surgeries. I had no control, and I still have no control over her recovery process. And God was trying to let me know that if he's creator and he's sustainer and he's with me, then I don't have anything to worry about. He has my wife in the palm of his hands. So I don't know if you're gonna feel as courageous as I am feeling. I'm not saying that I'm courageous, (laughs) very much not. And if there's something that God is inviting you to let go and you're willing to grab a hold of his outstretched hand to let go so now you can go with him, I want to invite you to stand where you are. I want to pray with you a prayer of surrender. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Our souls may be overwhelmed with the world and our daily battle with self and sin. Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from us, yet not as we will, but as you will. May we be completely confident in your truth. Thanks for holding on to us as we hold on to our faith in you. We submit wholeheartedly to your goodness and love. In Jesus' name, amen.